0: Welcome to Farmside Today, our regular podcast about what's happening in pharmaceutical science, hosted by Professor Gino Martini, Chief Scientist of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. Visit wwwrfarmscom forward slash podcast for more Farmside Today and other podcasts. You can help us support the work of pharmacists by joining. Membership is just 60p a day. And now over to you, Gino.
1: And good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Gino Martini. I'm the Chief Scientist for the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. I'm joined with my colleague, Sir Cahill, who is the Chief Pharmaceutical Officer's Clinical Fellow. And I'm absolutely delighted that my good friend, Oxana Fizek, who is the UCL Lead of Global Citizenship Program on Outbreaks of Infectious Diseases, is also a teaching fellow
2: at UCL. Oksana, how are you? I'm delighted to be here with you uh, to talk about the current events and how they've affected pharmacy. So thank you.
1: Oksana, I suppose for our members, can you just give our listeners uh, a bit of background to who you are and actually what you do at UCL?
2: So I am a pharmacist and I... I'm a senior teaching fellow at the UCL School of Pharmacy, where I was once a student, so did a bit of a full circle to the square. For the past five years, I've been lead of the Global Citizenship Program, with a focus specifically on outbreaks of infectious diseases. So historically, we've looked at Ebola, Zika, etc., in this open course uh, educational program. I'm also very closely involved in working with several different NGOs and charities as a global health advisor and board trustee for the Commonwealth Pharmacists Association and have been leading, embedding these global health issues into the core pharmacy curricula at UCL.
1: And obviously, during the pandemic, you've been very active, uh, certainly on many social media channels and particularly on, on, uh, on TV highlighting the work of pharmacists and their teams, which has been great. Because you've actually raised the awareness of pharmacy and it's importance. But during all these different interviews over the last uh, what, four or five months, what have been the major or should we say repeated themes that were causing concern during the pandemic for both pharmacists and actually for the patients as well?
2: Well, part of the interviews that I did give, the, the main motivation really was because of the Spread of misinformation and the level of concern of the public. So, there were many different healthcare professionals who engaged with the media to try and diffuse this misinformation that spread even faster than the virus itself. So much so that the World Health Organization Director General, Dr. Tedros, actually called it an infodemic because just this surplus of information coming from all sources we're hitting everyone. And when we go back, that the mood has really changed. Lockdown has lifted. And if we go back to late March, when Britain entered lockdown, we knew very little. We were learning a lot more about the virus now. But the anxieties that people had really does fuel uh, the spread of misinformation as well. We are more susceptible to it when fear is present. Uh, And I've heard everything from uh, callers on, on various programs asking about, can they flush away coronavirus by drinking excess amounts of water? Is holding your breath a good way to test if you're infected based on the length of time that you hold your breath? Then, of course, we heard about the U.S. President Donald Trump making reference to Uh, perhaps injecting or consuming disinfectants as a way to kill the virus. And later on, there was an increase in number of individuals who contacted poison control afterwards. But uh, even washing fruits and vegetables and bleach and such. However, now I would say the shape of the misinformation has changed as we have progressed with the race for the development of the vaccine. uh, There have been more and more anti-vax sentiments that are being spread on social media and the WHO is working with some of these major platforms, Facebook, WhatsApp. So they have introduced a limit where WhatsApp messages can only be forwarded a certain amount of times as one simple solution to try and uh, sort of break how information is shared. And of course, there is a, a distinction to be made between misinformation and disinformation. So Misinformation can be a misunderstanding of the science that's presented, whereas disinformation certainly has a intentional aspect to it, either for political reasons, uh, but usually coming from quite uh, state levels, etc., as a tool to cause uh, confusion. So, again, um, I would say currently there has been also further confusion because we have seen that the vice has changed. So at the very beginning in the UK, unlike other countries following, in this case, the WHO advice on not wearing a face mask and the pros and cons of this. And of course, now we're in a different situation where, where it is encouraged, but that's because we have more evidence available and that we are seeing in certain countries that they that have been using masks historically different types of response rates. So all of this also then can be quite challenging because if we've used blanket messages, and of course you as the chief scientist will appreciate it, that we are following the science, kind of misses the point that really every day we're getting more researchers coming in to understand uh, various elements of the disease. So I would say that overall what the themes have been, I think has been... uh, the role of pharmacists, the role of healthcare professionals to ensure that we are sharing the correct information based on the, the best possible evidence of, at that time, with the understanding that, of course, we are continuously learning day by day. I would also say that in the beginning, again, due to panic and other aspects that led to stockouts of even basic medicines like paracetamol and other shortages, that this then also helped to drive fake products sold online, ranging from fake PPE, fake testing devices. And within that first week of the WHO characterizing coronavirus as a pandemic, that was March 11th. Technically, the WHO doesn't announce a pandemic. They will call it a public health emergency of international concern. They raised that alarm January 30th, but sort of due to lack of international response, characterized it as a pandemic later on to try and spur further action. But within that first week, about 11 million pounds of falsified pharmaceutical products were seized by Interpol's Global Pharmaceutical Crime-Fighting Unit, so Operation Pangaea. It's quite a lot. And again, that included a vast range of products. And now as people are purchasing or or looking to buy things online, we see that trend also uh, extending to social media platforms where people are purchasing COVID-related type products from unlicensed platforms.
1: I think for me... It's the rapidity, it was the speed which misinformation was being shared and the speed which you had to make judgments based upon what evidence was available. As a chief scientist, I was acutely aware that we had to, you know, make the right decisions based on what we read. That's a key word, what we read for ourselves. So I think that was key. And I've also got great concerns about vaccine haters. We had them before COVID. We had it with the measles vaccine. And of course, you know, look what's happened there in the UK. You know, I'm very keen that people understand that vaccines have had a tremendous positive impact on human health care around the world and we forget that the, the nastiness of things like measles and mumps never mind what's happening with COVID-19 so I share your view that we need to manage that misinformation because there are many people out there right now who probably are scared and may not take the vaccine after all that effort and, and we can't have that situation and of course raising awareness of pharmacists if people are in doubt about what they buy over the internet They should go meet their pharmacists and talk to them because they are accessible and they are scientists on the high street, as you used to say. So I now hand over to Sarah.
0: You touched earlier on people buying fake devices for COVID testing. So this kind of links up nicely with the question I have. You founded the UCL Fight the Fakes initiative. Are there any concerns now and during the COVID-19 pandemic with the supply chains? And could you give our listeners just more insight into what the Fight the Fakes initiative is about?
2: So Fight the Fakes is a global awareness campaign for substandard and falsified medical products. So for our listeners who might not know um, the difference, substandard medical products usually are tied to poor manufacturing practices. They might not be stored appropriately somewhere along the journey. They might be damaged, but ultimately they come from a legitimate manufacturer and there isn't any criminal intent. However, negligence can be a part of this. Whereas uh, falsified products are not coming from any verified manufacturer. You see that organized criminal groups are making vast amounts of profits, up to 200 billion, by selling these products. It can be very sophisticated and full factories in China, or as we've seen in the UK, a sole person in their basement with a pill presser selling something online. So there is a vast a spectrum where falsified medical products can arise. But ultimately, it's really important that we have robust regulatory systems and public awareness in place so that it doesn't undermine the trust that people have in medicines, in healthcare professionals and the wider healthcare system. We have about 37 global partners with the Fight the Fakes Alliance, including the World Medical Association, the International Nurses Council, the International Alliance for Patients Organizations, and many more. And I started UCL Fight the Fakes to feed into this wider movement, but to ultimately fill the academic gap. So as a senior teaching fellow at UCL, I had noticed that uh, our pharmacy curricula had a gap around the medicine's quality issue on ensuring that when pharmacists do speak to patients who might be experiencing unusual side effects if they've been abroad, etc., that it would be something that they consider that, uh, you know, where was this medicine originally purchased? So uh, having identified that uh, there's some work that needed to be done on the pharmacy curricula to integrate the issue of substandard and falsified medicines, from that grew also a wider WHO FIP project to launch a similar type of pilot in five African universities. So a core component of that has been education, and it should be not just limited to uh, low- and middle-income countries, this is a problem that affects all countries. No supply chain is completely immune, although, of course, the regions that are hardest hit are the areas with the most fragile healthcare systems. So uh, certainly that is a point to keep in mind. Uh, the WHO says that 1 in 10 medical products word worldwide is either substandard or falsified. And then uh, that was in 2017, their their latest publication. And then in 2018, JAMA Review actually found that 13.6% might be a more accurate figure, but it is largely regional. You'll see huge amounts of variation. So uh, the most commonly reported substandard uh, or falsified medical product is anti-malarials and antibiotics. So in the region of Malawi, That actually shot up to 88% that did not meet specifications. They did not have enough API to have therapeutic benefit, which is shocking. So again, a core issue that I think day one pharmacists should be aware of. And in that, we've also extended some research opportunities for our students and then empowering uh, young people to act as advocates, uh, to raise awareness, to influence policy. Uh, every year, my group of Fight the Fake students attend the World Health Assembly, which is the highest policy-making uh, body at the WHO so that they can see public health in action. And now uh, these sort of chapters, if you'd like to call them, have expanded to New Giza University in Egypt, Warsaw Medical Institute, Monash in Australia, and even King's College in London. So I'm very proud of my students and all of the hard work that they have done to get the message out there. You had mentioned what is the link between these substandard and falsified medical products and our current COVID-19 pandemic. Well, historically, we can see that there isn't any time of crisis really reads the opportunity uh, for criminals to make profit in a particular uh, climate of panic and fear. So if we go back to the 1700s and we think about uh, the Great Plague, then quackery was uh, rampant in London and you had all sorts of, in quotation marks, cures uh, to, to, to prevent the disease, uh, which of course had no protective benefit and it's really just playing off of the fears of innocent people and then in world post world war 2 there was an antibiotics shortage and very sadly this was also an opportunity for criminals to come in opportunistically sell either very diluted amounts of antibiotic or something that had nothing at all, which led uh, to a lot of deaths of children at that time, post already an enormous tragedy. So if we look to history, we can see there certainly is a pattern of this. Now, if we Skip to modern day and see, look at what's happening now. As a result of rumors that have been circulating on, on social media platforms such as Facebook, there were individuals touting that a particular elixir that if they could purchase would have protective powers against coronavirus. And this was in Iran at, at sort of the beginning of the pandemic. And 44 people ended up dying as a result of that by taking. A uh, which essentially ended up being a toxic ethanol solution. Fake vaccines, even though right now we, uh, it's been widely publicized that no vaccine is, has yet become available, there have already been uh, seized in Uganda and Israel fake PPE. And in Cameroon, 300 hospitals and pharmacies were identified in which Fake hydroxychloroquine, which of course has been a candidate COVID drug treatment that's received a lot of media attention recently, uh, particularly by the US president. And then uh, the trials have shown it to be not effective. But because of the attention that this particular medicine received, there was a big rise in demand for both hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine. So the WHO issued an alert to communities in which it had been identified and to ensure that vigilance procurement pharmacists as well as end users around which manufacturers they are dealing with. But of course, there were shortages of all sorts of medications. And in those types of scenarios, people may go to unlicensed or other sellers that they normally wouldn't. And in that scenario, that's where we see this rise occur. But because of the lockdown in India and China... Uh, In our globalized world, the whole process occurs in so many different nations from the raw API to then the broader development into whatever format. It traverses many different borders. And that lockdown did mean that uh, there were certain bans on exports. And that also fed into this A drug shortage and B. Uh, the rise of substandard falsified medicines as a result. So certainly, I think this has been one of the issues of the pandemic that has sort of been below the radar, but can have catastrophic consequences, particularly in areas where it may go unnoticed. And that is a big barrier in, in the research around this particular subject, is that it is Uh, hard to identify uh, when unless there's mass poisoning and something really suspicious and then you get uh, talk screens otherwise people may assume that it was the cause of death was related to other factors so so this is actually an incredibly complex problem
0: I was never aware of the Fight the Fakes initiative until you've mentioned this at all. And it's something I would, would have loved to have had the opportunity to be a part of in an university. And definitely is, as you said, really important that young pharmacists and pharmacists just starting out today are aware of all of these Fight the Fakes.
1: I think what's shocking, isn't it, that there's fake vaccine when all the world knows a vaccine is still yet to be found or is being yeah. worked on as we speak. It's just amazing, really, to think about it.
0: Thanks for joining us at Farmside today. We regularly add new chats with interesting and important figures at www.orpharms.com forward slash podcast. So check back again soon to keep up with the latest in pharmacy and pharmaceutical science. And remember, RPS memberships cost just 60p a day. Find out more at www.orpharms.com forward slash membership.